Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Conversations with Leaders. I'm Sam. Inspiration is one of the best ways to transform. Conversation with Leaders is a bi-weekly interview with industry key players, CEOs, financial authors, and professional money managers worldwide. Get valuable insights from people who've seen it all. Please remember that this podcast is intended for educational and informational purposes. Stay tuned for additional disclosures at the end of today's episode. Now, let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Conversations with Leaders. My name is Sam North, and I'm a market analyst here at eToro, and I'm happy to be your host today. As we get to the end of 2023, everyone's focus, of course, is turning to what might happen next year, and central banks at least for the most part, are looking at potentially cutting rates in 2024. So I feel like we've got the best possible guests for us today to talk through all of that. Jens Nordvig, who is a founder of two companies, which we'll talk about very shortly. We'll discuss that. Uh, And he's also a former MD at Goldman, head of research at Nomura and Bridgewater. He joins us here today. Jens, how are you? I'm very good. I'm a little bit dizzy, actually, because there's so much going on in the market with massive announcements from central banks. So uh, it, it's it's supposed to be a quiet time heading into the holidays here, but it's definitely not quiet yet. No, it's not, is it? And and actually, it's quite funny for, for those that obviously won't know, just before we got on this, uh, this call, whether you're listening on podcasts or watching on YouTube, I was asking Jens, what time would he typically get up? Uh, and his answer was... Uh, usually sort of what it was about 5 a.m., 5.30, unless there had been a lot that's happened the night before or the, the evening before. So the end, we're, we're, do, we're filming this the day after the FOMC, so you were up pretty early. Yeah, like I have, a, 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 it's a kind of work uh, uh, damage that I have that uh, my body knows when the market is moving. So this morning I woke up at 4 a.m. before the alarm um, because, yeah, just this is a big... Big, big moves in interest rates, right? So um, can't miss it. <laughs> no, absolutely. And yeah, it's, it's funny that your body knows. It's like, right, okay, 4.30, get up now. Um, but let, let's get into some of the questions then that we've got. And, and let's first talk about what got you to where you are right now. I mean, look, you run two companies, so have clearly done very well uh, in your field. But for those that don't know, uh, give us a run through of your, your journey to this point. Sure. So, yeah, I I kind of started my career at Goldman Sachs in London, and um, then I moved uh, uh, to Goldman Sachs in New York. So tried tried the the trading desk in London, tried the trading desk in in New York. And then uh, I had a a stint at Bridgewater Associates, Connecticut, uh, in the the outside Manhattan. (laughs) And... um, then uh, I, I took a job where I was head of research for a number of research groups at the Moore Securities um, when they were kind of building out after the global financial crisis. So that was fun. And then the first uh, company I started on my own was Exante Data in 2016. And Exante Data is still, still uh, there and growing, uh, servicing uh, institutional clients around the world. So macro hedge funds, uh, asset managers, insurance companies, that kind of thing. And it's been it's been quite a riot the last 
three, four, five years, right, with just incredible macro volatility, really interesting things to analyze. And then the second venture uh, that I, I launched uh, two years ago is called Market Reader. And that's really meant to be a technology for a much broader audience. So not mm. just an insurance company or a hedge fund. It's meant to be a technology that everybody can use to understand what's going on in the market, really explain what is going on as it happens, right? So uh, is it news? Is it flow? Is it cross-asset stuff that is driving the market, right? Really doing for you what uh, typically a hedge fund will have, like a group of people doing, we have a piece of software doing. So uh, that's what Market Reader does. So uh, excited to be involved in that. Also, the AI angle to that is also really fun to be involved with. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to discussing Market Reader with you in a bit. I've seen it in action. Uh, it's, it's really good. And actually, of course, anyone that's watching this on YouTube or on the podcast in their bio, you'll be, found, you'll be able to find links to, to both of these. Uh, before we get to Exante Data uh, and Market Reader, let's just discuss your time at Nomura, where you were global head of effects and head of fixed income. Uh, what would your your day to day look like? How much will it have changed since then for people that may be doing that same role? Uh, and what do you look back on and say, you know what, I, I did that pretty well? Well, so the, the main thing that happened when I was at uh, Nomura was we had the euro crisis, right? So I remember, I remember sitting uh, on the trading desk there and yeah, firstly, we had obviously Greece blowing up, so yep. that was sort of the the foreword. Um, but then I remember those days in 2011 where you know the biggest banks in Europe were like I literally watched it on the screen. I remember, okay, now now they're down 11 percent on the day, right? I so, said, okay, is 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 it supposed to be 1.1? Is it really 11? Right, it, <laughs> like massive moves, 11 percent in a couple of hours. Um, so we. We did a lot of work uh, back then about, okay, what would happen if the, the Eurozone broke, broke to pieces? And I ended up writing a book about it as well that came out of the work I did at Nomura. So that, that was really interesting, not just from, okay, let's forecast what happens uh, tomorrow in the market. Obviously, we had to do that. Uh, but also really thinking through uh, what's actually the future of Europe if, if the mm. Euro doesn't survive, right? That was before we had... You know, QE was not allowed. There was all kinds of things in terms of like backstopping the financial system that was sort of illegal within the Eurozone at that point in time. There was a change a bit since then, but it was a very, very tense time. Actually, I was, I was invited to do a speech in Italy uh, a couple of weeks ago, which is still coming out of that work that I did back in 2011, 2012, right? So there's definitely uh, people around Europe that have paid attention to that, read the book and so forth. Uh, but uh, yeah, there was a really interesting uh, type of analysis to do. It's kind of mind-boggling if you think about it. if you want to actually get rid of the euro, what steps you would go through. It's mm. really complicated to think about. Um, so um, yeah, we we spent a lot of time in the more really think about the legal aspects of that. Uh, kind of yeah, yeah, makes you makes you kind of a little bit busy actually. Uh, but uh, that that was that was ten years ago now. Yeah, I mean, 2011, I mean, obviously, I, I wasn't actually involved in markets back then, but I used to work with a company who developed a simulation where you could go back and sort of trade it. Uh, so the first time I did it, I realized, wow, 2011 was an insane year in markets. Is there one that you look back on? Like, have you got a favorite year, favorite moment? I mean, obviously, we've had in 
the recent years, some insane moves in markets. 2020, of course, 2016, there were some big moves. Is there one year in particular that sticks out and you're like, wow, that was one I'd like to live through again or not? Well, we've we've been through we've been through many of them, uh, but I, I just there's just one experience analytically I think is where interesting. So I had I had one day in January 2020, right. and I got a call from a, a big hedge fund in New York. Uh, one of the portfolio managers said, "UK, have you noticed that there's something funky going on with uh, some Chinese stocks?" Right, mm-hmm. and I. I look at, you know, hundreds of assets every day, right? You always know where the dollar is, oil and so forth. But there, there were some Chinese stocks that were moving a lot that I haven't paid attention to. So I started, started looking into it, right? And um, it was um, really, it was related to the COVID outbreak, right, that they had. And it was very, very important, right? Because knowing those specific stocks moving and starting to dig into why it was early on yeah. uh, made me make a decision that we actually allocated uh, a lot of resources, a lot of people to forecast COVID very early on. So January 20, 2020 was when we started to forecast COVID, right? And decided it was something that was going to matter for the global economy. Uh, so, so that was obviously uh, a terrible pandemic uh, to live through. But from an analytical perspective, it was fascinating to be able to forecast it, right? Because you remember we had all the epidemiologists on yeah. the news all the time. And they always forecast like the, literally the end of the world, right? Because that was their job to warn about the worst case. So being some of the first that actually came on and did like, you know, what is the central case, not the worst case? It, there was a huge gap there. Uh, so it was it was very interesting. So I think uh, in terms of like doing totally new stuff, like I'm not an epidemiologist, like we had to learn from scratch how to forecast these things, but it was very interesting. Yeah. Um, so we've had that. And then obviously we had the big inflation moves over the last two years that have been yeah, really interesting to analyze and obviously creating a lot of opportunities. Yeah, that's it. It's been a fascinating time in markets. And I remember 2020, January, there was so many like conflicting arguments. Oh, no, it's just the flu. The market's not going to go down. And then you get the volatility, you get the recovery. Insane, insane times. Uh, let's now focus on the companies uh, that you own. Exante Data will be the first one that we go for. I mean, you founded that back in 2016. I just mentioned that was a, an interesting time in markets with Brexit and the, you know, the Trump election. Uh, can you tell our audience what it's about and, and how it has helped uh, professional investors? Yeah. Well, so uh, at Exante Data, the reason why it's called Exante Data is that we try to have a very data-driven approach to, to analyzing macro and do macro strategy, right? And um, I'll give an example, right? So back in, in 2015, 2016, one of the most important things that was going on was that uh, China kind of had a balance of payments crisis. Like they were starting to have currency devaluation, depreciation uh, uh, running away from them. And they had to intervene an incredible amount in the market, like uh, $100 billion per month to to keep the currency relatively stable. So one of the first things we developed at Exanta Data was a tool that could track how much intervention there was in real time. And we had investors that used that for trading currencies. We had investors that used that for trading like literally S&P or equity indices globally, right? So it was a very cool tool. 
um, but it changes all the time. Then, then, then we had like a, a year later, uh, China put in place effectively capital controls, so they didn't have to intervene anymore. So the tool was totally obsolete. <laughs> so we had to do something else, right? So um, some people have a company where they sell a time series, right? And so oh, this is the data you can get from us, right? That's not what we do at Exante Data. We all the time develop new models depending on what's important in the market at a given point in time, right? So the data that we focus on this month is going to be different from the data we focus mm. on that month. Like, for example, in March, in March this year, when Silicon Valley Bank cracked, right, the most sought after data was deposit outflow from U.S. banks, right? So yeah. we immediately created tools where we could look at that in daily and weekly space. Mm -hmm. high frequency data right and and that was by far the most in demand data at the time right and now nobody cares about it so <laughs> <laughs> we have to be we have to be pragmatic about yeah. okay where do we where do we put the focus so it's really a combination of having lots of data lots of models that crunches it but then having some humans that actually say okay now we need to focus there now we need to focus there right because the the AI and the robots or whatever models you have, they, they, will, they won't know how to sh uh, shift the focus around. They might create very good insights, mm. but they will kind of be in a static space. And you need the humans to decide, okay, this is where we're going to get aggressive now. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy just to think that the Silicon Valley stuff was this, this year. It seems like it was a lifetime ago. I mean, one week in financial markets yeah. can seem like a month sometimes. It's just an, insane. Uh, all right, next up then. Uh, a slightly newer company, and this was uh, 2022. You co-founded this one, Market Reader. Uh, I've had the opportunity to speak with you before this interview, and uh, I've seen it in action. And, and, and I have to say, it's brilliant. I, I, I think it's great, and I think a lot of people can really benefit from this. Uh, but for those that don't know, uh, as I mentioned, the links in the bio where they can check it out. Uh, but you can tell us a little bit about it again, and, and how it can benefit investors from all shapes and sizes. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the basic problem with trying to solve at market reader is literally understanding what's going on in the market, right? The market is very complicated. Yeah. Sometimes it moves for an obvious reason. Sometimes it moves for a reason that's very hard to understand, right? So we're trying to essentially say, what do the most sophisticated investors around the world do to understand mm -hmm. price action in real time? And then we create a piece of software that does it for you instead of having, you know, 10 PhDs uh, sitting on a trading desk doing it, yeah. right? So if I'm going to simplify, there's like four dimensions to the analysis. Okay, what can move the market? It can be a piece of news, right? Mm -hmm. So it can be something that comes across a newswire. It can be Elon Musk tweeting something can move the mark or yep. Trump in the days when he was tweeting could move the yeah. market, right? So that, that we would all think about as news. Uh, it could be something that's on the calendar, right? So it could be an earnings release for a company, yep. CPI, FOMC, something on the on the macro calendar. Clearly, moon market it can also be an option expert, something that's regularly there and moves the market. We we know about those things. Then it could be a flow. If somebody needs to do a block trade yep. or a big option trade, it can move the market even if there's no news or nothing on the calendar, right? And then the fourth thing really has to do with how all the different markets are interrelated, right? Uh, so over over the last couple of months, we've had a massive bull move in, in bond markets, and the bond market has been driving all the other markets, yeah. right? So really, that interaction between bonds and risk assets, uh, currencies, and so forth 
is the key, right? So if you want to explain what's going on in the market, the, 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 the cause has been coming from the bond market, right? So you can't look at each asset in isolation. You need to look at in totality. And the cross-asset dimension is really important to market readers. So we put all those models together, and it's almost like a race where all the different models try their best to explain what's going on, right? And then we use the large language model AI technology to summarize in a way where we just say, okay, in a couple of lines of text, this is the gist of what's going on. So it ends up being like a stream of insights as opposed to like unfiltered news where you have to do the, the hard work yourself figuring out what's going on. Uh, so we're, we're pretty excited about uh, what we've achieved. It's going to get better and better, uh, but uh, it has it has very good results. Like so, for example, back when uh, back in March, it's a long time ago. <laughs> back in March this year, ten years ago, <laughs> um, we like it. That was the kind of thing it popped up on the screen, right? Okay, Silicon Valley Bank is moving extremely unusually. Yeah, yeah. it's never down six percent in the aftermarket. Pay attention. It's because of their uh, equity offering and that kind of mm -hmm. thing, right? So it, it always finds the epicenter of the volatility. Where is the real action coming from and tells you why uh, and, and hopefully quicker than other, other tools. Yeah, and I, I can't stress how impressive that is. I mean, if I were, you know, to, to want to find out why a stock moved, yes, I mean, look, there's some great accounts on Twitter, but you've still got to filter through everything and someone's got a different opinion. Obviously, you've got, you know, data that could come out or it could be the FOMC, it could be options, like you said, the volume of block trade. But to have that all in one place and immediately be able to see a couple of lines, this is the reason why. I think, that, yeah, it's a, it's a no-brainer for investors of all shapes and sizes. And, and, and people that are using this now, is it big players or have you also got, you know, smaller guys in there as well that, that have taken advantage of this? One? Yeah, so we've, we've been uh, crunching on this, as you said, for, uh, for about two years now. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, we've, we've started over the summer to uh, onboard hedge funds to the platform. Nice. And uh, we're rolling it out to different user groups. And we did a big um, presentation for financial advisors earlier this week, right? And uh, we are uh, allowing everybody on the platform. Um, so, um, yeah, you can go to marketreader.com and check it out. Um, it's, uh, it's something that everybody can use, right? Even if there's some very complex technology that yeah. underlies, like literally tracking everything in real time, the output should be very easy to understand. Uh, so that's what we've always aimed for to make it um, available to everybody. And then obviously, it's also a technology where we're showing it on our platforms, but it could be that there are, there are other uh, trading platforms that want to use some of the content. Yeah. Uh, maybe eToro wants to, uh, to have, have some <laughs> of the insights available on their platform. So we could have that discussion after this call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, listen, from a, from a trader's perspective or an investor's perspective, you know, why wouldn't you want it? Um, let, let's move on then uh, to, we've got a couple more questions that we'll go through. Uh, in your opinion, can uh, AI help predict the Federal Reserve next moves or is it a lot more complicated than that? And I mean, we literally had the FOMC meeting yesterday. But yeah, in response to that question, how, what, what, what do you reckon? So I think uh, I think I'll just describe how we are, are using AI and are very excited about AI, right? So there's really two elements to what we do, uh, and the first is a presentational element, right? When we started to build Market Reader, we had this mm -hmm. army of models that were generating quant input, excuse me, quant output, mm 
And um, it was so dense in terms of having, you know, all these uh, percentiles, statistics, and so forth, that it was actually hard to sort of, uh, you know, what's really going on, right? So having the ability to summarize tons of information into like, okay, what's the essence of it? Really is a quite powerful thing. There's a reason why Twitter became popular, right? Because they distilled things into like 140 quick characters. There's a reason why people do a lot of texting on the phone. Um, so it kind of allows those types of snippets to be generated in an, in an automatic way that was not feasible 18 months ago. So that's the large language, language models. The other part, which is not about presentation, is about, okay, if I'm going to try to determine whether this piece of news could potentially be relevant for gold, mm. right? It's not a simple math. Like, it's not like you put two and two together and you've found the answer to that. It's kind of like people call it fussy logic. It's kind of like you are in this kind of like spectrum, right? Or yes. it's definitely not relevant or, or it could be relevant or it's very relevant, right? So you can use the AI to do these kind of determinations. Oh, this could be relevant. This could be talking about something the same in a way you could not do with other technologies. Mm. And that is something you can just, when you start to think about it, you can insert it in so many different levels. Like, for example, in social media context, like we, if we will pick up, you know, 100,000 social media posts, right? Like the large majority of them will be totally irrelevant for what's yes. going on in the garbage. But like just that filtering of content is something you can do very fast. So I think it's fascinating what you can do with it. And then to go back to your actual question, okay, can you predict the Fed with it? Uh, not yet. Not yet, right? So... I think, I think it's really important when you use AI technology that you don't bully it. Yeah. <laughs> what I mean by that is you don't ask it to do something that is not really capable of doing. Like you can do so many fascinating things with AI that you couldn't do with traditional models that yeah. go and grab those, right? But pretending that it can do everything on its own is going to lead to bad results, right? So what we do when we use AI is that we spoon feed it. Yeah. And, and by that, I mean that we give the AI engine very curated pieces of information yeah. uh, where we already do kind of hand-holding. And that, I think, is what gives very good results as opposed to just letting it loose and, and trying to kind of, you know, do too much. And obviously, over time, it will change what is too much, right? But right now, you need to be careful and give it specific things that it's good at as opposed to believing it can do everything on its own. Yeah, giving it the right environment to, to grow and uh, produce results. Sounds spot on to me. Uh, last question yeah. then. I mean, for, look, for a lot of traders and investors, they're going to make their decisions uh, based on trying to predict the future. Uh, and of course, they therefore are going to hope the majority of the market is going to agree with that view and the market goes higher or lower, whatever. Uh, if we take 2024 as a blank canvas, how do you see things unfolding? Is there anything particularly on the horizon that you, you've got your eye on that you see things coming? Yeah. Well, so, uh, we've had incredible rates moves now over the last six months with a massive run-up in interest rates in August, September, October now, and a massive reversal in November and December, right? Mm -hmm. um, if I take a step back, 
and I look at global inflation, and I'll I'll tweet out some um, I'll tweet out some charts that show this on uh, my handle at uh, J Nordvik. Yep. Global inflation is almost back to where it came from, right? So we have all this focus on inflation. Obviously, people feel that prices have gone up, stuff is expensive, but in terms of where the additional change in prices is, it's pretty close to normal. So this is a huge deal. And I think when people analyze, so I live in New York, right? And, and people are obsessed with all the little different categories of, you know, used cars, medical yeah. services. There's all these different parts of the CPI people get obsessed with, right? If you take a step back and think about what's going on in the world, like, okay, look at energy prices been going down for the last couple of months, even if the Saudis have tried to cut supply. Then you look at China. China has clear deflation, right? So their CPI is negative. They're exporting uh, goods uh, at, at lower prices. There are some things going on in the world that really suggest that we actually have some deflationary forces, right? Mm. So that doesn't mean that CPI is going to be negative in the U.S. or UK, uh, Eurozone in the next couple of months, but it does mean that we have a big counterforce to this above target inflation we've had. And it's going to be massively important, right? And, and we've had a huge rally in, in, in bonds, but I'll get, just give you one specific data point, right? If you look at real interest rates, so inflation adjusted interest rates yeah. in, in US five year bonds, right? They used to be zero. For many, many years, we had real interest rates that were around zero, right? Mm -hmm. And then we got to two and a half in October, and now we're a little bit below two, right? So from a big picture perspective, those real interest rates are still high. And that means there's still potential for bond yields to go down. And that means that all the other assets that are related to what these interest rates are doing, they can continue to have those dynamics we've seen in the last couple of months play out. Uh, and, and then I would say uh, the, the sort of uh, the second step of that is that there's some assets that typically are damaged by interest rates going up, right? And uh, there are assets like gold, right? Gold doesn't like when other assets have high interest rates. So I think it's likely that gold is going to start to have a move. There yeah. are currencies such as the Japanese yen that tends to be, get very damaged when interest rates go up. Like, so we're going to have a reversal of that. Yeah. Uh, and I think those trends are big trends, right? And they're not going to be over in a couple of days, right? So even if if there's a couple of days to 2024, these are themes that are going to play out over a multi-month, multi-quarter time frame. Yeah, when I, when I first started um, trading, which was in October 2014, so nine years ago, uh, someone who uh, had a lot of experience and traded for a, a long time and developed a really big book, he always said to me, the bond guys know first. Pay attention to what the bond people are telling you. They see everything before it happens. Would you would you agree with that? Do you think that's a fair statement? I think I think uh, what's what's interesting about the the bond market is that obviously it's tied to the central bank policy, especially yeah. the short end. And also what what is a little bit different is about how uh, people handle their stops, right? So in a lot of assets, like you can have like lots of emotions and at some point oh, people just want to get out and stop out. 
And that's a little bit different in the bond market because a lot of people uh, have a different way of trading where, where it goes against their view. They actually add. They just continue to add because there's this anchor in the price that is the central bank. And if they have high conviction, they will not stop out. So that creates a little bit of a different dynamic. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not saying there's never any stops in the bond market, but there is more of this type of trader that will yeah. add and add and add when the position initially goes against them. And that creates a little bit of a different uh, dynamic. And perhaps that's why the signal from the market is a little bit different from other markets. Yeah, very interesting. I can't wait for 2024 now. Jens, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, having you on. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks for your time. Thanks for inviting me. You have been listening to Digest and Invest by eToro. For more information, use eToro.com. This podcast is for information and education purposes only and should not be taken as investment advice, a personal recommendation or an offer of or solicitation to buy or sell any financial instruments. This material has been prepared without taking into account any particular recipient's investment objectives or financial situation and has not been prepared in accordance with the legal and regulatory requirements to promote independent research. Past performance is not an indication of future results.